Hello, everybody, and welcome to the uh, Andal Politics in Conversation News of the Week special. I am Mr. Hine. I'm Dr. Mackenzie. Hi, I'm Tara. Hi, I'm Sphere. Hi, I'm Will. And hi, I'm Dan. So today we are six. Uh, we did hope to be seven, but uh, unfortunately, Dr. Stanley couldn't join us today because it's his mum's birthday. So happy birthday to Ms. Dr. Stanley's mother. <laughs> uh, right, today we're going to be looking at uh, events of the week, things that we have found interesting um, in the UK and in world uh, events. Uh, so, guys, what we found? First up, who would like to start? What have you found about in the news this week? Yeah, go on, Will. Off you go. <laughs> so, um, I found sort of an article describing how in the recent opinion polls the Tories have actually taken over Labour. Um, so... Within that, Boris Johnson's personal ratings also fall back. So I thought that was quite interesting that throughout the whole of the pandemic, there's been sort of a vast range of scrutiny upon the current government. And it's interesting to see that actually the opinion polls are going in a slightly different direction. Thoughts on that, Dan? Um, well, it's interesting to hear that, but I also think there's a strong reasoning behind that. I think the vaccine rollout programme has probably um, ripped up. Boris Johnson's opinion uh, in the opinion polls and you can kind of it's evident to see um, the shifting in public opinion um, with what people are saying after the COVID briefings I think uh, the opinion towards the government at the moment is definitely improving in comparison to where it was at the, in March time. So what would we expect then guys so we've seen that really consistently quite surprising the Conservatives have remained ahead in the polls and, and the latest polls are also sort of suggesting that are we surprised to find that after um, the last year and the fact that Labour are now under a new leader? In a sense probably not because I think throughout the pandemic uh, Keir Starmer the leader of the Labour Party has been quite sort of neutral he hasn't said much so I don't think people can really bind on to anything he has said and I think as Dan has mentioned obviously with the vaccine rollout one would ask people to get on board with that because of the, um, the high statistics of how people have been vaccinated. So is it, is it, so I'll come back to you, is it, and all of you, is it not surprising after you know the, the uh, horrific loss of life over the last year um, that a government where there's been a number of U-turns actually still remain ahead in the polls of the opposition? I am surprised to hear that, yeah. But as Dan was saying, it probably is linked to the fact that there is light at the end of the tunnel right now, the vaccine rollout. So, the significance of the recent vaccine rollout. What about you, Dr McKenzie? Um, I just wonder, you know, what does this really say about Keir Starmer as leader of the opposition? Is he presenting himself as a sort of alternative leader in this environment or not in this situation. You know, we look at Prime Minister's questions and there's an opportunity for him to show himself as being this capable leader instead of Boris Johnson. Do you guys think he's achieved that or not? What do you think, sir? Uh, I was actually going to sort of put forward a bit of a different argument because obviously we're currently, you know, in the third lockdown which, and in comparison to other sort of European countries and the rest of the world, it's quite sort of shocking that we're still having to, you know, fully isolate, you know, the economy's practically failing. So I think in terms of the Conservative Party still being ahead of the polls, I think that's, you know, I don't know how it could possibly be, if that makes sense. 
Well, I suppose that is, is that really then highlighting the failings, as Dr. McKenzie was said, of, of Labour to present a coherent opposition. Um, some would argue the only person really opposing the government right, right now is the Manchester United striker. Um, and what that kind of tells us about the political system. Can any, can any of you then, a little straw poll, um, only two people in the room, no, maybe three people in the room can currently vote, but can any of us actually see uh, Keir Starmer ever becoming Prime Minister? Who can? No, nobody. <laughs> in this little straw poll can see. And is that because of him or is that because the Boris Johnson and the Tory party are becoming so dominant, do you think? Dan, what do you think? Um, I think it's partially, well, it's, I think it's mainly down to the fact that the Conservatives have such a stronghold in government at the moment. They've got such a large majority of eight that it would take um, a miraculous t- turnaround from the Labour Party and almost a combustion from the Conservatives to let uh, Keir Starmer-led Labour win a general election anytime soon. And Sophia? I think also Keir Starmer doesn't have a sort of stronghold over his party, you know, just, nor does he have a sort of specific ideology which he's following. He doesn't quite sort of have an individual opinion of anything, to be honest, whatsoever at all. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can't, you couldn't therefore really outline at this, I know it's quite early stage, what Keir Starmer stands for? Yeah. What about you? Dr McKenzie? Um, I'd just throw into the mix the fact that I think Labour are largely unelectable without Scotland as well. And as we've seen, Scotland has shifted away from the Labour Party over the past, well, decade or more. And I think Labour is going to have to work extremely hard in those former heartlands in the north to win them back from the Conservative Party to really stand any chance of being electable in the near future. And, and did we all notice it took about five and a half minutes to bring back to Scotland? Hey, uh, someone's got to fly that flag. Yeah, and also um, about Dan's point, I think I think we've also got to consider the voters in which would vote for the Conservatives. I think due to the time in which Corbyn was head of the Labour Party, I think many voters maybe switch towards more centre-right towards the Conservatives. And I think those voters in the past were key in Labour's success during sort of the Blair tenure. Okay, and that, that might then sort of segue us into uh, the, the, those people who abandoned the Labour Party at the last election, the so-called the crumbling of the uh, the Red Wall, linked to the issue of Brexit. And I think what other issues relating to that have you found in the news this week? Has anybody got a story relating to Brexit? Uh, obviously, it's the free trade to join the CPCP. Which would sort of, um, you know, lower tariffs and food, drinks, cars and whatever. But quite, there's been quite a bit of backlash on that because, you know, UK is once again rushing into another trade block without the opinion of, you know, the people or meaningful consultation. And the arguments against it sort of highlight that global inequality might sort of exacerbate. There's always been some thought about um, how it might undermine food standards in terms of, for some reason, they highlighted chlorine and chicken. So perhaps that might be a sort of stop. But at the same time, because Japan is involved and it's critical to have relationships with Japan at the moment, because obviously with Trump moving away from the Asian market and pulling out, I think Britain must sort of try and somehow hold on to the Chinese and, you know, Eurasian market whilst also not completely relying on it. 
Okay, so we've seen, therefore, the announcement by Lynn Truss on Sunday that, therefore, the UK had applied to join the, what is it, the CP? TPP. T- T- <laughs> not easy to say that after that. <laughs> and, of course, one of the big issues over the UK leaving uh, uh, the European Union is about our other trade relations, how easy it is to form those trade relations. And we also saw something relating to sort of Northern Ireland. Did anyone notice that over the... Um, over the last few days, what did you notice there, Dan? Um, well, the EU's stance on Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland throughout the Brexit negotiations was there was no way there could be a hard border because this would cause unrest across both countries. But then this week, because of the EU's um, lack of COVID vaccines, they were they threatened to impose checks on the Northern Irish border. Interesting, therefore, that the threat to invoke Article 16 um, this weekend. Uh, Dr McKenzie? Um, I think this is a really interesting development, actually, in UK-EU relations. So from the UK perspective, um, Northern Ireland, of course, has this bespoke agreement, which allows it to uh, align with single market regulations. This triggering of Article 16 is designed to provide a block to that. And I think this is a really interesting insight into the stance of the EU at the moment. I mean, I'm going to say it, I think it's blown up in their faces, really. Um, This has been a really bold move. And I think they've been left rather on the back foot. And the question I'd ask, and I don't know what you guys think about this, is what does this tell us about relations going forward? Because it does seem to be rather um, combative at the moment. And I think also, does this situation with the vaccine show that perhaps the UK does actually, at the moment, have the upper hand when it comes to negotiations? Dan, what do you think? Well, a German uh, journalist actually said on the matter, uh, the lack of vaccines is at our humiliation, especially when we consider our friends who were what part of the island that used to be part of our uh, membership. Mm. And I think that just really states how Boris has actually done a really good job with getting these vaccines. And I think it's kind of suggested that we do have uh, power at the moment in negotiations. There's rumours about us having excess vaccines, <laughs> and we should perhaps donate those vaccines to other countries that are less fortunate. Mm. But I think it definitely suggests that that Britain definitely have more power than pre- mm. previously suggested. Okay. And Will, what do you think? Yeah, again, in response to Dan's point, um, I was listening into the COVID briefing last night and Hancock um, obviously announced that he had bought a million doses of another UK-made vaccine. And I think that's, again, important in that government throughout this whole pandemic ordered many vaccines before they were regulated. And I think it's actually come up trumps and it's now allowed them in a position where they have so many vaccines to vaccinate everyone in the UK. But also, um, as you mentioned last night, to also vaccinate much of the poorer countries, which I think for not only sort of a humanitarian point of view, but also a political point of view, it's favourable for the UK and the government. I think we've been agreed that this might be the one area of success mm. would be uh, the vaccine rollout for the British government. What, what about the, the, the idea of that, that Sophie, was, Sophie was going down and about where you see the future? As you as young people going out into the world, do you see yourselves therefore as Europeans or do you think therefore these uh, looking more to the east with new relationships to Australia and Japan, Indonesia, for example. How do you see your future? I probably think it's going to be a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So if the UK do join the CPTPP, um, obviously trade with Asian and Pacific nations is going to be a lot greater. And I think I think that that could be an attractive prospect because there is a growing middle class in these Asian Pacific countries. And so I wouldn't be surprised to find when as we grow older that there is more um, trade between the UK and these countries rather than the UK and just EU countries. But I, I think our base will still always be EU countries. What about yourself? Uh, I always think that it would be become much harder to work closely with Europe because I think it would almost sort of move Britain closer to the US in the sense of sort of deregulated sort of system economically. And, and Dan and then Dr Mackenzie? Um, kind of expanding on Sophia's point, uh, I think it was either Michel Barnier or Emmanuel Macron said that Britain can't be the EU's best ally, Singapore's best ally, or America's best ally, they've got to pick. So I think that just shows that we can't really have, we can't have it both ways. We've kind of got to um, make our bed and sit in it, really. Like a lot, I bet, Dan. I'm I just think this um, shows perhaps two competing things with um, the UK's future in terms of trade. I mean, on the face of it, uh, Liz Truss, who's the um, International Trade Secretary, has done a pretty good job of developing a portfolio of trade agreements. But one of the issues that uh, they are going to have to consider is in pursuing trade deals with countries that are part of the EU customs union, like Turkey, for example, means that we're not going to be able to completely free ourselves from EU tariffs and regulations. And so on the face of it, this looks like a real success. But I do wonder whether going forward, the UK is going to find itself somewhat sort of, you know, foisted by its own petard in a way. So some interesting things there domestically relating to uh, the EU and future trade deals. And we've looked at the vaccine rollout and we've said how that's potentially a great success for Boris Johnson. We've alluded to none of us think that Keir Starmer is any good, but I don't think we can really let the government completely get away with events. So, Dan, was it you? You noticed what, what does Gavin Williamson have to do this week? Um, Gavin Williamson is having to defend himself in front of the Education Select Committee. He's received constant criticism for the way he's handled schools during the um, virus and when 6,000 teachers were asked, 92% believed he should resign. Um, so I just really wanted to hear what people's opinions on Gavin Williamson were, because obviously Will and I had GCSEs cancelled, Tara and Sophia have had ALEC cancelled, and then Mr. Hine and Dr. McKenzie have had, well... Yeah, and the, my, um, my fitting for my latest tweed jacket cancelled. And of course, Dr. Stanley's appearance on Love Island cancelled. For breaking many hearts. Uh, our appearance at the uh, Teaching Like a Champion convention cancelled. And of course, the production of our latest teacher toolkit cancelled. Everything just been a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so. Excellent point, Dan. So we've got there for you, Gavin Williamson, the Education Secretary, uh, also referred to as Mr. Bean at various uh, <laughs> websites. Um, he, therefore, is in front of the Education Select Committee. So if you were on that, I'll, I'll put this to you then, all of you. If you were on that Select Committee, what would you ask 
Gavin Williamson. What's, what are you going to start us off, Will? Yeah, I, I would ask, I was actually discussing this with my family a couple of days ago, whether he would, um, whether he would actually continue with A-levels and GCSEs. Um, it was, I think it was in the news actually a couple of days ago, um, and that quite a few teachers and senior officials in sort of the education department have actually questioned whether A-levels and GCSEs are necessary anymore, um, in that all the evidence collected by a school with mocks, for example, and small tests are actually probably more valuable than one or two exams on a one-off occasion. Maybe I would ask him whether he would see the value in the exams if he was to continue to be the education secretary or something along those lines. Right, that's right. And I think there was something, yeah, that, that this morning there was another paper came out with a number of um, heads supporting the idea of scrapping GCSEs. So that's an interesting one. Okay, what else have we got? Uh, I would ask him how much contact he has with Boris Johnson, because if I remember correctly, uh, at the of January, some primary schools went back for one day and then were told that they had to be shut. So that, to me, it suggests that maybe he's not been, he's not too sure on the science or what's going to happen in the, in the coming days. Right, so therefore you would, that, that relationship between Boris Johnson and, um, and Gavin Williamson, which might therefore provoke the question as to how somebody who has made so many mistakes, you could argue, is still in a job. Um, Sophia, what do you think? What would you ask? I think mental health in students, especially in sort of pandemic times, you know, the uncertainty is unreal. Nobody really knows what's going on. So I'd probably ask how he's sort of planning to deal with that, both in the sort of short term and in the long term, because it's going to affect us, you know, for the foreseeable future. And I think the sort of inability of him to, you know, give a decent sort of programme to deal with it and to support students in, you know, everyday sort of life whilst they're, you know, at home. And many students sort of have really tough home situations, which, you know, they are just subject to every single day. So I'd probably ask, you know, what is your plan to sort of deal with it now and later on? So yeah. there, was a, there was an Ofsted report came out, I think, uh, in November, which highlighted um, the, the concerning growth of eating disorders and mental health um, of uh, schools being closed, as well as, of course, of the fact that the, the valuable role that schools play for your socialisation process, etc. Um, Dr McKenzie, what would you ask? Um, well, just picking up on what Sophia says there, actually, um, talking about children with difficult home lives and you know, Gavin Williamson has also been in trouble over the last couple of months. Um, he was involved in a court of appeal case. Um, he relaxed safeguarding regulations on vulnerable children as a result of the COVID pandemic. And um, a lobbying group brought this case before the court of appeal and were successful because they argued that actually he should have consulted with senior figures in childcare and education before he made this decision. And he didn't. So um, I think Gavin Williamson is going to find himself in hot water, I think, in front of the Education Select Committee, not just about how he's handled the opening of schools, how he's handled the exam situation, but also how he has dealt with safeguarding mental health issues of children beyond the classroom. So, some yes, some, some very issues that the impact of COVID on education and, again, the, the, the attainment gap between those um, at certain schools and certain backgrounds compared to others and the certain online provisions, mm -hmm. it's, it's alarming, really. Tara, any, any thoughts? You, what would you ask, Gavin Williamson? Uh, yeah, so pretty much following on from being said, I would ask how he plans to deal with the backlog 
that's going to happen at all levels of education. So universities in September had to accept more students than they were potentially capable of holding. And GCSE students had to pick A-levels without actually sitting their GCSEs. And personally, going through that process of revising and sitting the exam was hugely important in deciding what I then did at sixth form. Um, little children in junior schools, they're missing key years of socialising, which is so um, fundamental in developing social skills. And yeah, I'm, I'm just worried because even when Corona goes, I think there's going to be a really long term effect on schools and universities and everything. And I just do not think he is capable or competent. So I, I do fear. So we basically touched on the fact that the leader of the opposition is incompetent. <laughs> uh, that the educational opportunities for everybody in this country is an absolute crisis. And uh, we can negotiate trade deals, but we're still going to be eating chicken that's correlated. <laughs> so all a bit, all a bit of a worry. So why don't we cheer ourselves up by looking at events overseas <laughs> to make it clear that things aren't really necessarily that bad in the UK. So Tara, then, what, what, what do we think? What have you found out, Tara? So Biden has promised a complete reset of relations with Saudi Arabia, and his team has basically accused the Trump administration of turning a blind eye to human rights abuses. And after, I think just one week into his term, um, the US has suspended billions of dollars worth of arms sales to both Saudi Arabia and the UAE, pending review. And this is hugely significant because, I mean, the US made arms have accounted for, I think, three quarters of the volume of arms sales to Saudi Arabia from 2015. They are a huge um, seller. So, yeah, it's a really, really um, exciting and big deal. Okay, so starting us off then, we've got um, American relations with Saudi Arabia. I don't know if anybody of you lot have noticed, um, have you noticed on your TV, not that you probably ever watch TV because you're too busy working. <laughs> um, you noticed the adverts for uh, holidays to Saudi Arabia. Mm. Yeah. Pick that up. I've never noticed that before. And suddenly, in the last sort of few weeks, I've noticed these adverts for Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, anyway, so back to it. <laughs> and I quite fancy going. I don't know. <laughs> Looks pretty sense. tempting at the moment, doesn't it? <laughs> very, very tempting. Um, so Saudi Arabia. So the, the change of relationships, the American relationships with um, Saudi Arabia. Has anybody knows anything else that sort of Joe Biden has done? in the last sort of week or so that they sort of link in about a change of policy. So we've got an international affairs like that. What's Sophia, anything you've noticed? Oh, no, this is also sort of international affairs. This is, you know, the military coup that's happened on Monday in Myanmar. So Biden sort of responded and he's threatened to impose sanctions in the country, which I sort of goes the opposite way of what's trying to do with Saudi Arabia. So we'll get, yes, so we've got then the um, relationship with Saudi Arabia. We've also got then what's going on in Myanmar right now, which we'll come back to. Dr. McKenzie? Um, well, I just think just picking up on um, what Tara was saying about the change in tack between the Biden administration and the previous Trump administration when it comes to Saudi Arabia. Biden, I think, is trying to put water between himself and Trump, I think. And there's been a, a few significant changes in policy, uh, not least Biden overturning Trump's ban on transgender people serving in the US military. 
this was obviously a very controversial ban by his predecessor. And Biden obviously has won support from LGBTQ advocates and indeed from civil rights groups and activists all round. And of course, you know, on that theme, he's appointed Rachel Levine as the first uh, openly transgender federal official who um, has been uh, confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Health. So I think Biden here is really trying to show himself to be ideologically very different from what has gone before, um, certainly in terms of civil rights and, of course, in terms of his relations with foreign countries as well. Thank you, Dr. McKenzie. Uh, Will, thoughts on that? Again, in response to Dr. McKenzie's point, um, obviously, as you've probably seen, Biden's um, return to the US for Paris, um, climate accord, Mm -hmm. so again, trying to distance himself from sort of Trump's policies and Trump's ideals, so I thought that was interesting as well. Mm, yeah. So, so the international stage then, Tara, you picked out how the relations with potential Saudi Arabia, Dr. McKenzie over the um, you know, the transgender um, membership of the military, and then Will, all coming together. But also, as Sophia mentioned, very interesting events going on over in Myanmar. So what, if anything, do we know about what's happening right now? So they've imposed the new sort of junta and they're acting as if it's sort of completely normal you know television telephones are all working everything's completely normal and then Ong San Suu Kyi is currently imprisoned at home which and her role is super interesting in the whole thing because obviously in the past few years there's so much criticism of her and her sort of involvement in ethnic minorities such as the Rohingya so there's not been sort of much sort of involvement from the global community, UK, EU, the only administration that went fully against it was Biden, who threatened to impose sanctions, like I said before. Again, all these things are extremely complex as issues. It's, it's, so it's been a military takeover. Um, there are, there's been rumours for some time that the uh, military is being funded by the Russians and the North Koreans and the Chinese. To what extent that's true or not, we don't know. But it does, again, it sort of highlights the battle of international relations playing out, polarisation between Russia, China, and then uh, the Western powers. So very interesting how that plays out. And also quite interesting that um, the military who've taken over are claiming that the recent landslide election victory was, of course, based on election fraud. Um, So everybody right now, I I like the idea, you just have an election, if you don't have a result, just claim election fraud and... But if that would have happened, would Tara have become head girl? That's the question, isn't it? We, we claimed election fraud and we, we planted somebody else in there. So if we're looking then at, um, we've looked at issues of domestic issues currently within the UK. We've looked at um, international affairs to try and make ourselves feel a bit better that we're not suffering currently a military coup. Um, what about some, to cheer us up, because that's all been quite depressing. What about some fun stories? Has anybody noticed anything this week that made them smile a little bit? Sorry, funny story? Um, so it's not so much funny, but I'd just say heartwarming. <laughs> um, Bernie Sanders was um, at Biden's immigration, and then the picture of him that just went absolutely viral, and he's just kind of sitting down with a parker on and chunky pair of hand-knit mittens. <laughs> And yeah, the internet just loved it. And so he decided to take advantage of this and he put the picture on jumpers and started selling them. And he raised 1.8 million, I think, for um, charities in Vermont, which is where he's from. 
um, that are addressing hunger relief and other social issues. And that's a whopping amount of money. I, that's huge. And I just thought that was such a sweet um, way to, to kind of turn things around. So, yeah, that just made me smile. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to receive a Bernie jump of the Christmas? You like that, idea. Dr. McKenzie? Um, I was actually reminded of a story I read the other week. Um, and, you know, because I've got to bang the drum for Scotland, let's just continue that theme. Um, it was, of course, Burns Night <laughs> last Monday. And... Um, there was a, a butcher, um, I think in Perth, who launched a haggis into space, which was quite enjoyable. Um, I mean, you know, what more do extraterrestrials need than haggis to live off? So it was attached to a weather balloon, and I think it soared uh, something like 20 miles above the Earth, celebrating Burns Night in space. What more can you want? So if you took a quick poll, then, if you could pick one politician to launch into space... <laughs> Who would, it, who would it be? Dan, who would it be? Gavin Williamson. Mm. Gavin Williamson into space. Will? Uh, Ray Smog. <laughs> so Smog is in space. Uh, so who's going into space? I'd probably agree with Dan. Gavin. 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 Yes. So he, he post his uh, time at the select committee, we then send him to space. <laughs> Todd? Uh, yeah, sadly, it's going to be Gavin again. <laughs> I'm just going to share this this amusing, well, I found it amusing because I've got very juvenile taste. It was in the sun today, so you really, you need to, if you want to find some fun stories, you need to read a proper newspaper <laughs> about uh, the Bombay Delicious in Colston, which is a curry house in Colston. Um, the owner has come up with a low-calorie uh, low calorie curry, calling it the Fin Deloo. <laughs> Shout out for the Bombay Delicious in Colston, South East London. <laughs> Okay, everybody. Well, thank you very much for everyone's involvement. I was Mr. Hine. I was Dr. McKenzie. I was Tara. I was Spear. I was Will. And I was Dan. And that was uh, Handle Politics in Conversation. News of the Week.